Today we're going to be talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we're going to see what this tree actually was. Now I'm going to start off by defining sin and we're going to read from Romans chapter 5 and uh, I'm going to read from verse 1. It says there, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we give glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because of the love of God that is surely brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, um, what he's saying here is that justification does not come to us by the works of the law, but justification comes to us uh, through faith and as we trust and believe in the Lord and through the faithfulness of God towards us, um, as we believe in his faithfulness towards us, then he will justify us. And he's talking about a justification here. And then he talks about a hope that we have. He talks about a justification. And this justification, he connects with a hope. And this hope that he's talking about here is the hope of the glory of God. And the glory of God is an immortal or immortal life as it is in Jesus Christ. Now he says here that this hope doesn't make ashamed. In other words, we know that we will have this. We've got a confidence in our heart that we will have this because even in difficult times, we find the spirit that will raise us from the dead is already bringing forth love in our hearts. So this spirit is greater than what man can do to us. This spirit is greater than the oppression of this world. And then he goes on and uh, in verse 6 here and, and he says that the reason why this spirit is greater is because of this. And the reason why we've got this hope, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so when did Christ die and for whom did he die? He died when we were without strength. Now he's talking about a, a man not having the strength unto eternal life here and that he came to give us this eternal life now, the hope of the justification of life as it's also mentioned uh, in Romans 8. So he says here, for when we were yet without strength, when did he come? When we were without strength. For whom did he come? For the ungodly or those that are not like God. Right, now verse, I want to now read verse 8. It says, But God commanded His love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So verse 6 says that when we were without strength and not like God, He died for us. So when we were without strength, Christ died for us. Verse 8, but God commanded His love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, what is a sinner? A sinner is someone that is without strength. That is what a sinner is. And if we cannot define sin, if we cannot see what a sinner is, we will struggle to understand uh, why a physical resurrection had to take place why Jesus had to become a human, why he had to die, and why he had to be raised. We will struggle to understand that. We will not know what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. So, uh, and we will not know what the warning was in the beginning. And we will start to live a life where we cannot even see what the true narrative was in Genesis chapter 1. Now, <clears throat> so what he says here is basically that Sin is to be without strength. So when we talk about sin in the flesh, we're talking about uh, being without strength in the flesh. 
being without strength in the flesh. Talking about the inability of man to have life by his flesh because his flesh does not have the ability to live a life that can last forever. That is all that it is, as simple as that. Now, if we go and read uh, the makeup of man, which we're going to get into, we're going to see that we are made from dust, from the dust of the earth, and that God said to Adam basically that he is dust and that he will return unto the dust of the earth as he was going to toil and work this earth that he was coming from. He was now going to apply his own ability into his own life and his own circumstances. And God said to him, you're going to just return unto the very thing you are working because that is who and what you are. You don't have that ability inside your flesh. There's an inability inside the flesh of man to have eternal life by himself. And that we call sin. That is what I see sin is. Now there's other definitions of sin that we can look at, but I want to talk about sin in the flesh. Because we can define sin as a breaking of the law, or we can define sin as a transgression, uh, we can talk about an iniquity. You can find iniquities, transgressions, sins, and sin. There's many things, but I'm talking about sin in the flesh today. Sin in the flesh is the weakness in the flesh. Let me read it again. <clears throat> Romans 5 verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God commanded His love towards us that while we were, according to verse 6, it would be without strength. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The word sin means not to have a share in, not to partake in. That is what it means. You're not a partaker of, you're not partaking in. So when man, uh, man in himself without God, is not just like God. It is not true. Man is a mortal being and God is an immortal being. But God's plan and His promise according to Titus 1 was to grant immortality unto man. Hallelujah. That was the promise from the beginning. So here we find that this, in this passage we are seeing that being without strength or Sin in the flesh would be being without strength in the flesh to keep to the law. Or, we can put it this way, not having the strength in human ability, in other words, the human psyche, the human understanding, knowledge, willpower, uh, our reasoning, our way of putting things together in this world, our way of governing, and all those kind of things. There is not enough power in there to bring forth a system that will last forever eternally in this world. Um, I want to make it more practical. If we must give the world over to uh, political leaders, and we are saying, we taking, I'm not making political leaders bad, because you can put any person into that political system. If you put, um, if it is either Nelson Mandela or Evia de Klerk or whoever you want to put in there, you can put a Helen Zilla in there. You can put a, a, a whoever you want to put in there. At the end of the day, you will find that humans does not have the ability by their own understanding of how people work, their own love in their heart, their passion to do good, whatever it is, even if they are so sincere, you will find that this world will only go backwards. And it is not going to be an eternal place where immortality dwells, where all people walk in love and in, the, uh, uh, in true power. It is not going to be there where there is kindness and love and immortality. It is not possible for humans to gain that. We are too weak to do that. We don't have that ability. Our best intentions cannot reach that. So uh, I want to conclude in the introduction of this message that I define sin in my explanation that we're going to look at when we look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
as the weakness or the inability inside man's flesh that a human, a living human being, doesn't have the ability to attain unto a life that is eternal and immortal. It doesn't have that. What I mean by that is, we cannot, I cannot today, with my family here, come up with a master plan on how to love one another, on how to be kind, and all those kind of things, and how to be good and generous, or what, eat healthy, whatever, to preserve my family forever, that none of us will die, that we will immortal and live forever. We don't have that ability. No human has that ability. And that is called sin in the flesh, or where the flesh is not a partaker of the very life of God, or where the flesh doesn't simply walks in and is not a sharer in the immortality of God. That is what that means. Now, um, <clears throat> before we get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want to say this. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 was not written so that we can know the age of the earth. By that I'm saying, I don't care if the world is 6,000 years old or if it is 100,000 years old. It doesn't matter to me. Because Genesis chapter 1 was not written so that we can know the age of the earth. God's plan was not to tell us by Genesis 1, listen, I want all people to know the age of the earth, because by knowing the age of the earth, they're going to be saved. By knowing, how old the age, uh, by knowing the age of the earth, you cannot be saved. <laughs> I want to say that again. Some folk is treating this thing as if we don't, if we don't have the accurate age of the earth, and if, we, if it sounds like we're going to agree with, uh, with science in some form, it is you cannot be saved. Now, I want to say this to you. I am not a believer in evolution. I believe in creation. You, you need to understand that. But we're going to say things about Genesis chapter 1 and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that might challenge your belief. And I want you to know that. And I want you to know that Genesis chapter 1, whenever you read Genesis chapter 1, say, well, I'm going to find out what the age of the earth is, you're missing, missing the narrative. You're not hearing the story. The story of Genesis is to tell you who God is, to tell you that He is a creator, and to point you to Jesus Christ, and for you to understand the parameters of the greatness of the goodness of God and what is accomplished in Jesus Christ. Genesis 1, the reason why this book was written, the reason why God put Genesis 1 and 2 in here or, or any of the writings here is so that we can have an understanding of, of the death and the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that accomplishes. That is why it was written. If we read it to see anything else, we're going to miss it. I'm not saying you cannot determine the age of the earth by some scriptures in the Bible. I'm just saying that it was not written for that purpose. And if we want to read it for that purpose, we are abusing that passage. Okay, so um, getting to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're going to move to Romans. Let's go to Romans, and we're going to look at Romans um, and we're going to see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right here in Romans chapter 7. Okay, as a foundation, I want to just read from Romans 7 verse 1 to 4. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as what he is alive. For the woman which has an husband is bound to the law of her husband as long as what he lives. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him, who was raised from the dead, and that you should bring forth fruit unto God. For when you were in the flesh, 
the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Okay, now that is very interesting. We see here in verse 4 and 5 that Paul is coming and saying that man was actually married unto death, or married to death. And the fruit that we were bearing was the fruit of death. Let us read it again. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, I want to read it in the light of our definition that I gave in the beginning. When we were in the flesh, the motions of our weakness in the flesh, our inability in the flesh, which were by the law, or which, if you read Romans 7 uh, uh, clearly, it would be which were manifested by the law of Moses and were actually manifest, were actually, we were bound to it because of another law, which was the law of sin and death, which we will talk about. So it says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin or the, the, the power of our weakness, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So, so unto whom were we bearing fruit when we were in the flesh? Unto death. Like Sarah would bring forth fruit unto Abraham. That is the way it's written here. It's a, it's a Hebrew understanding. So, Elena brings forth fruit unto me. She's bearing my fruit. So she, has, she bears children for me. In the very same way, when we were in the flesh, we were bearing forth fruit for who? For death itself. So we were bearing the fruit of death. That is why we had sins, and that fruit of death, the sins, would then even lead unto death. So um, to make a long story short, what Paul is saying here is that through the body of Jesus, we became dead to the thing we were married unto so that we can be married unto another. Who is this one that we should be married unto? It says in verse 4, To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, he's talking about a physical resurrection here. He's talking about through that physical resurrection, we will have a brand new life. Then it also says that through the death of Jesus, we were delivered from our marriage to death. And now in the resurrection of Jesus, we can be married unto the resurrected Christ. So this resurrected body that does not have weakness, that we can actually then bear its fruit. Right, now we're going and we're going to explain this body of the flesh. <coughs> or this weak body or sin in the flesh. And this is the connection with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we're going to go to Genesis and we're going to look at that. So Romans chapter 7 says, Well, we know that the law, I want to read, let, let us go to um, verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So it says, we know, the, we know that the law is spiritual. Spiritual, another way for spiritual means life. Okay? But I am carnal, Sold under sin. So he says, I am carnal. What does carnal mean? It means I don't have the ability to live forever. I'm sold under this weakness of not having immortality. So should you have had immortality with the immortality of God, you would have been able to have the law's requirement live in you. But you don't have that. That's what Paul was saying. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I like what he says there, sold under sin. Talks about a slavery there. Enslaved to the weakness of the flesh. For that which I allow not, for what I would, that, I, uh, that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent that the law to the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but the weakness that dwells in me. <laughs> and what is that weakness that dwells in him? 
That weakness that dwells in him, he says, is carnality. Carnality we've seen as smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. No. That, to be carnal means not to be immortal. Th that is what it means. Now, I'm going to say something, and those that watch this by television, you might be a bit shocked, but I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear this. And you can go to my website, dynamicministries.com or bertiebrits.com, and you can go and listen to my messages, and you can go and see how we explain this from the Scriptures. It is an understanding that is from the Scriptures. Um, and this is what I want to say. Man is not an inherently an immortal being. Man is a carnal being made from the dust of the earth. That is what he is. Man is a living soul, a human being. That is what you are. And that human is not an inherently immortal being. And in order for him to be immortal, in order for him to live forever and not die, God has to give that eternal life to him. And the only way that eternal life can be transferred into him is not by just God bringing forth a supernatural miracle into that being, but in order to have a being in the likeness and the image of God, it has to be a being that believes unto God, that has got a will and an intellect, that believes, and as he believes and trusts, God enters into him and then grants that immortality unto him. Glory to God. Now, uh, you need to understand that you are not an inherent immortal being. You're not going to live forever anyway, but you don't know where you're going to live. It's either heaven or hell. No. The way the Bible teaches it is that Adam was made from the dust of the earth, and then God presented this dust man whom he made alive with the tree of life. And he warned him against the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we're going to get into very shortly. And he warned him against that, for inside that man was the ability to die, which God Almighty doesn't have. And that we need to know. Eternal life is a gift from God. Eternal life and immortality is something we seek after. We have taken the word eternal life, we've taken the word immortality, and we've made a synonym with the word heaven. And that is an error. It is not what the scripture teaches. We cannot just give meanings to words as we please. We need to look at the meanings of words. If words doesn't have any meaning, the only meaning to words is what you have eaten that morning. <laughs> what you decide for that day. But thank God that the Apostle Paul, that the writers of the Old Testament, Genesis, the writer of Genesis, the writer of Exodus, the writer of the Psalms, those writers meant something. There was a meaning behind those words. And John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that we should not perish. Go and study the word perish there and see what it means. It means to perish, to die. But that we would have eternal life. In other words, that mortality should be swallowed up by life and that we could have immortality so that the weakness of our flesh can be consumed by the power of God's life and that immortal that inside our mortal bodies, which will grant us then, and whereby we will then be immortal. That is what it's all about. Now, you might say, Bertie, that just sounds complicated, and um, it's not part of the Christian. I, I will tell you, it is. This is the very crux of the matter. This is what it is all about. If you want to know what the whole gospel is all about, I want to tell you, look at Jesus, for He is God's Word, God's message manifested. And what He has come to do is, He has come to condemn, which means to actually destroy or uh, to condemn unto death, to kill. He's come to kill the weakness in human flesh through his, Him entering that weakness, which is death, and conquering death, that husband that we were married to, 
destroying death, killing death, and then being raised in a physical, immortal body, which he then presents as, as our life to us. And as we believe upon this, then sin in the flesh was conquered. Amen. Now, you might say, Bertie, that is a lot. For those of you that watch this on YouTube in the live stream, you can hit the pause button and rewind and just listen again and it will catch up. Um, you know, uh, it will not be, be deleted. You will not lose this. It's like a, a PVR remote. You can just rewind and listen to it. But let's get into the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But I had to lay this foundation. What is sin? Sin is weakness in the flesh. That's why God doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Why? Because he knows that we are dust. It would be ridiculous for God to start to kill us because we do something wrong, but we are taken captive by the weakness of our flesh. You can't expect anything else from these people, if you understand what I'm saying. It is for God to conquer sin in the flesh. And then, if you want to call it punishment or wrath or death, can come to those who does not want life from God for free. And then their end will be destruction, as the Bible says. Right, so <clears throat> let's get to the passage here. Paul says, There's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me, or this weakness, this inability that is inside me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. <laughs> Can you see how Paul comes and he connects inability in the flesh, no good in the flesh. So he says the law is good, I want to do good, but in my flesh, in this human being, this mortal human being, is nothing that is flooded with life. For we are of dust, and what Paul is basically saying is, I'm on my way to that place again, and how can a dying being, a being that doesn't have immortality, live a life that, belo that belongs to the immortals? It is impossible. You cannot. There's a weakness to us, and we're going to need a Savior. Now, back to what does that have to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Listen to this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing for to will is present with me, but how to perform which is good I find not. For the good which I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Do you see good and evil there? Do you see good and evil right there? Paul comes and what he's talking about, he says, he says he wants to do good. He wants to live the life that belongs to the immortals. He wants to live that, he wants to gain immortality by his good works, but he can't. He says, why? Because the more I want to do the good, the more I am not doing it, and I find evil with me. I find this death, this bad, this fruit of the flesh, I find it in me. I find the effects of the death that I'm in, in me. And what the law has revealed to me as I try to do the law is that I am sold under this weakness. I'm a slave of this weakness and I can never be free from weakness in the flesh. Therefore, I am now condemned unto death. That is what he's saying. And he finds, uh, 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 he finds himself in a conundrum. He looks at the law, and the Jews looked at the law as the way unto life. And as he looks at the way unto life, wherein he's now going to have immortal life, he finds that this body that he is in doesn't have the ability to do that law. Therefore, he sits with the answer according to him and what he believes, unto life right in his hands, but he sees his own weakness and that he cannot do this thing. And therefore he declares that the very thing that must save him is too weak to save him because of his own inability or his sin in the flesh, his inability to do that law. So man does not have the ability, and this is what sin is, sin is, not to have the ability to keep the law or to live a life 
which is eternal. You cannot live it. You cannot be good enough because of the substance we are made from. We are made from dust. That you need to understand. You might say, Bert, this might sound a bit complicated. Listen, they also said the same about Paul, and yet what he said was true. And then we just study it out. Ask God, and God will show you. Right. <clears throat> now, verse 20, If I do what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but this weakness that dwells in me, this sin that dwells in me, if um, I find then a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So what is he saying here? He says after the inward man, after the his heart. Now listen, this is now knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge doesn't just mean just to know about. It always talks about an intimacy. Like the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife Eve and, they, and she bore children. So in the very same way, knowledge of good is an, an, an intimacy from the inner man with what is good. You want to do that good. <clears throat> but then you find the more you want to do the good, the more you have an intimate experiential knowledge of evil in the manifestation of sins in your life. So you find the knowledge, experiential knowledge of a wanting to do good, but you also find an experiential knowledge of the sins manifesting in your life. And that is the knowledge of good and evil. Now the Bible says, that God said to Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how do you have access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Through what belief did Eve have access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, let's go to Genesis. Oh, b before I go there, let us just, I think, uh, um, I don't want to, Jump there too quickly. There's just one verse here more that we need to do. <clears throat> so what we are saying is, Paul is saying, sin is a weakness in the flesh. The inability of the, a human, in all of its understanding and logic, a living human being, to have access to immortality by his good works. That is what he, he calls sin. And now he says, I find that I want to do good, but because of this weakness, I've got experiential knowledge of evil. And that now puts him in a place of good and evil. I hope you see what I'm saying. That is what he's saying. And then he comes to this conclusion on how to be free from this. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Or I would like to put it in um, this body of death, we can put it, or I can put it of this dying body. <laughs> And I believe the context is right there when it talks about dying body because in Romans it says here that we should be married to another which is the resurrected Jesus, verse 4. It says that we should um, be married to Christ which was raised. That's what he's talking about. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead. So, Paul comes and he explains that in, in, in Corinthians, and it's, it's a biblical principle that when a husband and wife becomes one, they become one flesh. Now he's using the marriage between us and God as becoming one flesh. For the problem that Paul had was a dying human body, a mortal human being. Because he is a mortal, he had this revelation that the problem with me, the problem why, the reason why I cannot do the law is because I'm a mortal. We are not immortals. It's the greatest lie, and I'm going to show it to you from the scripture. If you just believe we are just I inherently immortal beings that just lives in a dying body, I will tell you that is not the truth. Please ask God. Um, I know it challenges you, but ask God to show you the truth about this. Because we are, um, we are humans. 
And God had to come and save us from our mortality in order for us to have eternal life. And the way he had to do that was to save us from our dying body. And in order to do that, he had to become a dying body, take that dying body on him and actually die. And then the father had to raise him up in a body that can never die and then present that body as our body because the death he died was because of the weakness which is in the Gentile and in the Jew. Therefore, he included Jew and Gentile in his death upon the cross. And when he was raised on the third day, therefore he presented a body that has no weakness, that does not have sin, that is in immortality, and he presents that as our hope. And he says, that is now the body from where you live. And that is the truth and the reality of who you are and what you are. And so God conquers the weakness in us and brings forth the fruit of the Spirit inside our lives. <laughs> Amen. Bertie, I don't know. Let's read it. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of weakness. So there is a law of sin. What is the law of sin? The law of sin says the moment you engage human willpower to do the law, to have life, even if you believe God has given it, even if you believe it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter even if you want to do it from a relationship with God, this is what that law says, you shall die. You shall die. So what God had to do is, He had to come and bring forth immortality in a human body, give it to us as a free gift, so that we will never have to engage this dying body in a willpower effort to try and do the law, for when we do that, we destroy ourselves. That is what's happened. I hope you see the thing. God said, this is how the salvation plan works. Man said that they're going to have life. Let's say this, is, this glass of water is the law. God, man said they're going to have immortality. Let's put immortality on this side. By applying their own ability. So what the man said was, I've got immortality inherently inside me. I must just do the right thing and I will live forever. Because I've got eternal life just in me forever, I can live the life of the immortal. Then man was deceived in believing. it, And the moment man started to do this, he realized, but he's just dust. And now Paul said, we are married to death. Who will save me from this dying body? The problem with humanity is a physical dying body. That's why Jesus had to be raised. Verse 8. There is therefore now, because what saves us from the dying body is Jesus. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. What is condemnation here? To be married to death to bring forth fruit unto death by trying to obey the law. There is no more being condemned unto a place where I will have knowledge of good and evil, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all the time. There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what he's saying is, so, since Christ has died and He was risen, we will not experience condemnation unto the fruit of the flesh should we believe and trust upon the resurrected Jesus and not get ourselves all twisted up in using willpower, neglect of the body, whatever you feel you need to do, will worship, wherein you worship God from your willpower in obeying commands. For that will kill you. So for whom is there still condemnation? For those who still don't want to believe that immortality is a gift from God. For those who believe that they are just the immortals which by willpower will manifest the kingdom of God. 
by doing the right thing. They will continue to experience this condemnation. This is what it says. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me explain that. For the law of the Spirit of life. What does that mean? There is a law. As what there is a law in my members, that when I want to do the good, then evil is with me. There's a law that says, when I want to be blessed by following law principles, then it's much deeper than that. I'm just using a very shallow explanation. When I want to follow those principles, then I find evil is with me. I just find all this fruit of the flesh. It's something you cannot stop. Now there's a same law in our members, that when we believe upon Jesus, that He was raised from the dead, and that His immortal life, His immortality in His body, is also our victory, then there's another law. It sets me free from this law of sin and death, wherein weakness is conquered, and now effortlessly, by the doing of God, I find love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and in the end, the full victory, which is physical immortality manifesting in me, wherein I will be exactly like Jesus when he, when he was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. I hope you can see that the knowledge of good and evil is an experiential knowledge where you are standing and saying, I want to do good. And then you're actually also feeling the passion to do it, but you're realizing you can't. That is the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what is the first step unto the knowledge of good and evil? Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Remember that um, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do the other verses, just Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than the beasts of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Okay, so what was the lie? You will not die. What is this whole thing about? What is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Remember, when God made man, He blew the breath of life into man. Now man was alive because of God. Now, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is death. What is the fruit, the result of partaking of that tree? That is death. So what he said to Eve is, Eve said, well, he said to Eve, Eve, as God said, you should not partake of death. You should not. Now I want to explain that partake of death. Eve, if you come to a point where you say, well, I don't need the life of God. I can live by myself. In other words, I am actually separating me from the life of God, for I have life within myself. God said, don't do that, because I'm the one keeping you alive. If you want to have a life without me, which is death, you will surely die. For you don't, you are not inherently immortal. You are immortal in your fullness. You're immortal. Then God said, no, 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 no. The, the devil, the devil said, no. Listen, let me tell you something. You are actually just like God. You've got eternal existence inside yourself. God has got eternal existence inside himself. And now God tells you, you don't have eternal existence in yourself by yourself, and that the only eternal existence you have is because of him. But now God is lying to you, the devil said. You have, you've got an immortality inside you. Don't worry about what God says. All that God is scared about is that there will be another self-existing one which has got eternal existence and eternal life in himself, and he doesn't want that. So where did access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil start? It started with believing 
I am an immortal in myself. And the moment they believed that, they thought, all I must do is, I must take the life that's inside me, that I am by myself, and I must just work this life, and as I work this life, I'm going to live forever, and have eternal life. But God said, clearly, if we go and read in Romans, uh, not Romans, in Genesis 3, um, verse 17, it says, but, but unto Adam he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and had eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In your sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you turn unto the ground. For out of it was you taken. For dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. So what God did in making man, and I have to end off with this, and I will continue um, next Sunday speaking about this creation of man. This why was this tree planted? We've now in this session this basically discussed what this tree is. We've quickly seen how you have access to this tree. And now we're going to, in the next uh, session, we're going to talk about why that tree was there. So we now know what it was, how to have access to it, and then next Sunday, why. Right, so here he comes, he says, You are of the dust, Adam. I've made you from the dust. I formed you from the dust. I've determined your own abilities by yourself. And that is only the ability of dust. And then I have given you breath so that you will always have life by me. And I will come and I will seal you unto immortality in your union with me where you will be co-seated with me. That is what he, what he wanted. But then Adam and Eve said, no, 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 no. We don't believe that. We don't believe we are dependent on God for life. We believe that we are inherently immortal beings. And from that uh, eternal existence we have, we now going to continue as gods in this world. That's why the Bible says, you know, Adam has now become as one of us. One that lives by his own ability, lives by self-existence. And since he doesn't have eternal self-existence inside him, you know, he's, he's going to enter into a death. And we're not going to grant for him to live in that misery and in that death. So what we will do is, we're not granting eternal life to human self-willed power, God said, I will save man from his dying body and I will bring a glorified body which doesn't find its, its glorification or its immortality by the works of man, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is why Jesus came to this earth. And that's why I said in the beginning of the service, we cannot read Genesis to try and see how old the earth is. We need to read Genesis to see what God has come to do for us, and that is what we are busy doing. And there's still a well of wisdom to be discovered in Genesis. There is unending amount of good to talk about in these passages. So, I want to summarize it like this. Paul comes and he says, and he declares and shows forth what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. He basically says, and I believe he was writing Romans 7, having Genesis in his mind. He says, the good that I want to do, I want to do it from my innermost being, but I, I find that I've got a problem. I've got sin in the flesh. I've got weakness in the flesh. And what I'm going to need is somebody to save me from a dying body in order to share in God's quality of life. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And, he's, and, and then we can go, I don't have time now, but you can go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about receiving the adoption, the salvation of our bodies. <laughs> the immortal resurrected body. And this message that I'm preaching to you now is inspired by the very grace of God, where God has graced us by bringing forth an influence on a human body, which was the body of Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, wherein that truth has got an influential power unto us, conquering our weaknesses, 
That's why Romans 5, and I read Romans 5 there, he says that the Holy Spirit has brought this love of God out inside our hearts and we're living by love. Therefore, we are already seeing how the weakness that we had when we tried to be holy is conquered by the resurrected physical body of Jesus and how sin in the flesh or the weakness in our flesh is conquered free from our willpower simply by believing on a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believing the gospel is not believing God is not angry anymore. It's neither is it believing that God will not punish you. True belief of the gospel is to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, my friend. And when you believe that and you can come to the conclusion that the weakness inside my flesh was conquered, for now uh, uh, there is a new form of humanity or actually true humanity which is Jesus and that we are included into that we receive the spirit of that life and that spirit brings forth that life in us so we're not accessing the life of God by using our ability to do the law but we have accessed that life by the resurrection of Jesus hallelujah so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is to be at a place, to eat of it, is to be at a place where you believe you are inherently immortal, that you will not surely die when you live by your work, works, that you think that inside your, you there's some magic that you can attain unto that, and then you will find that you will want to do good, but that evil is with you because of the weakness of your flesh. That is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. Glory to God. Well, I've still got a lot to say about this, but we're running out of time. I want to thank you for watching this. If you've got any questions, I always say to people, go and ask God. Pray with a sincere heart. Uh, don't pray to hear what you want to hear. Pray and say, God, you speak to me. And have an open heart and say, Lord, if this is the truth, you tell it to me. I want to hear it from your mouth. You can do that. I always say, do that first. And then you can also go to my website. Go to my website and listen to the messages there. And say to God, God, convince me of your truth, and he will do so. Glory to God. I want to thank you so much for watching. Know that you are loved and blessed by God. And then I will see you again next week. God bless.